Let's open our Bibles to Romans 16, which are some of those preserved words that are pure words, purified seven times, and preserved to us in our own tongue, a tongue which has shaped the earth for the last several hundred years, and for which we are thankful to be born under its reign. And we have these words in our King James Bibles. As we look at this 16th chapter of Romans, which is a little unusual section of Scripture, in the long list of names that is given, or the catalog of Paul's friends and great Christians of his era that had now moved to Rome, we want to consider a number of things before we enter in to Eponidas in the fifth verse. For those of you that think this section of Scripture might be a little effeminate for you, consider it a medal ceremony for the military. And the army is the Christian army of the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul is a general under the lordship of Jesus of Nazareth who is handing out medals, some greater than others, to this illustrious company of heroes of the faith. And it should help you appreciate the passage. For those of you that just heard about the martyrs and thought upon that and realized that the Lord has not called you to give your lives in this generation, in that way, you can give your lives this way, which is a living sacrifice by bestowing abundant labor toward the kingdom of heaven. We don't have so much to give up as we have to make choices and priorities in order to put the Lord and His things first. For each of you, you must make an assessment before the Lord of the demands upon the 168 hours of your week. Every one of us have 168 hours every week without fail in which we can serve Him. Due to the circumstances of life, there's more or less of those hours available to discretionary choices. And the discretionary choices being that we should direct that time and our energy to the things of Christ in whatever way we can imagine to bestow a gift upon others and upon the church and upon the ministry here or elsewhere by our time. For those of you that have families and are working large number of hours, and or going to school, all at the same time, it is understood that your time is limited. For you mothers that have many young children and bearing more children, it is understood that you are already very well occupied. But there are others that do not have such claims, and I hope that all of us will assess ourselves honestly before the Lord and ask, If Romans 16 were being written today after the Apostle Paul had visited our assembly for a few weeks, would I be listed as one of the worthies in this catalog? And so we must honestly do that. I want to start in the middle of verse 5 and read down through verse 16 of this chapter. We have already met Phoebe and Priscilla and Aquila, two women 
and the husband of the second woman that the apostle has commended highly. Verse 5, beginning with the second sentence. Salute my well-beloved Eponidas, who is the first fruits of Achaia unto Christ. Greet Mary, who bestowed much labor on us. Salute Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Salute Urbane, our helper in Christ, and Stachus, my beloved. Salute Apellus, approved in Christ. Salute them which are of Aristobulus' household. Salute Herodian, my kinsman. Greet them that be of the household of Narcissus, which are in the Lord. Salute Tryphena and Tryphosa, who labor in the Lord. Salute the beloved Persis, which labored much in the Lord. Salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, and mine. Salute Asyncretitis, Asyncretus, Phlegon, Hermas, Patrobus, Hermes, and the brethren which are with them. Salute Philologus, and Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints which are with them. Salute one another with an holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. Amen and amen. Amen. Though this section of Scripture is different from others that we deal with, and especially the other 15 chapters of Romans, we believe that every word of God is pure, and we should live by every word of God. We've separated Phoebe and Priscilla and Aquila for the length of their salutations and for the known roles that they had in the church. These other people that are listed here, there is nothing known about them in the pages of Scripture except what is right here, except for one man, and that is Rufus. And the connection with the Rufus in the Bible is not certain, but it is likely. The rest of them are unknown. There is nothing to add, and my practice has always been to avoid tradition and all the speculations of men about them, and so we will just stick with what is said here in the text. Paul knew these folks from other places, where he had met them in other cities of the Roman Empire, and they had now moved to this city. He had never been to Rome. He had never visited the Roman church. And so it's important to remember that, that these people he knew firsthand from other cities in the Roman Empire. (coughs) These greetings were about as public as you can imagine. The whole church was to greet each one of them because the epistle is addressed to the church and the church, as this was read in public, you know, would have either turned and said something or would have noted in their minds that a person sitting among them had just been identified by the greatest apostle of the Christian religion and the apostle of the Gentiles that they were worthy of note among all the saints in the Roman Empire and of all the church members at Rome. Rather than isolate just a few, 
Paul's rage raised a large number to dilute any envy that might occur and to accomplish his great purpose that you might not immediately recognize. Here is Paul's heart, as large as any man's heart ever was, for the things of Christ and for the people of Christ, as he described it to the Corinthians, that God had enlarged his heart, and he prayed that God would enlarge the Corinthians' heart, and they would enlarge their own hearts toward him, as he had such an enlarged heart toward them, in spite of their cruel treatment of him. But here is Paul's heart in this 16th chapter. Paul clearly recognized service and degrees of service in kingdom duties. The Apostle Paul understood high performers, average performers, and poor performers. I reminded you yesterday in a preparatory email that John Mark did not escape his criticism and condemnation in the latter part of Acts chapter 15, when Barnabas suggested that his nephew be a good person to take along on their second preaching trip, and the Apostle Paul would not bear the man because he was a loser. And the contention between them was so sharp that the two of them had to separate company, and so Paul took Silas, being recommended by the churches, instead of Barnabas, who took John Mark. Now later in his life, John Mark had proven to be quite worthwhile to the Apostle Paul, and Paul mentions that in 2 Timothy 4 and a couple of other places, that Mark was with him and was useful to the ministry. But the Apostle Paul had no use for slackers. The Apostle Paul did not care much for average performers. This is a list of high performers. These are the ones that deserve the incentive compensation of having the greatest apostle mention them in writing, and Christians for 2,000 years have pronounced their names and read the inspired adjective phrases describing their service. For those at Rome that Paul did not name, yet were known by Paul, what shame to have been ignored by this apostle. And it's something for us to consider. Because in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17, it says that we ought to submit ourselves to God's ministers and to serve the kingdom as well as we are able, for they have to give an account of us to God, and it is not to our profit if they have to give an account to Him of grief. These were a great joy to the apostle. The Holy Spirit, both in David and Paul, distinguished between help and labor that was given to them and exceptional degrees of it. David's mighty men have a couple chapters written about them in the Bible by the Holy Spirit of the living God because those men were notable for their accomplishments. And among those 37 men, there were three worthies and there were three above them and there was the best of them all. And all of them were listed there. And so we don't want to resent such descriptions and such rankings of men because it's by the Holy Ghost. If you want to see the ulterior motive that the apostle had, it is to recognize in the context that we have been taught since Romans 12 through Romans 15 that this was a divided church between Jews and Gentiles. And that the apostle, in these places, chapters 12, 13, think about what's in each of these chapters. Chapters 12, in brotherly love, preferring one another, 
and a whole lot around that verse of 10 of chapter 12. Romans chapter 13. Owe no man anything but to love one another. Romans chapter 14. Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye. Romans 15. Ye that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. This was a divided church between Jews and Gentiles, which we saw clearly in studying Christian liberty in the 14th chapter. So how does the apostle remedy it as he approaches his conclusion? He lists Jews and Gentiles and praises them and salutes them and greets them within the church in the most public way possible, identifying their labors, identifying his personal affection for them, and breaking down any of those distinctions that the congregation itself was trying to make. And when he reaches his climax of using this approach, it is the first half of verse 16. And look at it. Salute one another with an holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. There is no division. I have no division. The churches of Christ have no division. You should have no division. I have just saluted and I have just greeted Gentiles and Jews. And you ought to do the same. There is an alternative. There is the underlying apostolic wisdom of Paul in what he's accomplishing, but we do not have any need for that in our midst. What we have this morning is a need to look at these names and see how we measure up, and if we, as individuals, or as husbands and wives, or as brothers and sisters, we have all of those listed here, or as families, are known for serving the kingdom and serving it abundantly and serving it with much labor, and bestowing our efforts on others. Lord, help us to see those things. I hope when you read Philemon last evening that you were able to see a little epistle that is included in the Scriptures along the lines of what I just explained to you for Paul's use of these verses. There's little doctrine to draw out of Philemon, but there certainly is a great deal of practical wisdom on the appeals that the Apostle Paul made to that man. Now, can you imagine an Onesimus is at the door of Philemon's castle. The butler goes and gets Philemon, and Philemon comes to the door, and there is his runaway slave, Onesimus. And Onesimus handed him that letter. Philemon pulled out his glasses and put it on and began reading down through that letter. What effect should the Word of God have on us every time it is preached, including the boring verses of Romans 16, 5-16? What effect should it have? The tears began running down Philemon's face the letter fell to the floor and he embraced his runaway slave and said, welcome home, my brother. You say, how do you know that happened? Because the Apostle Paul wrote the epistle under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And it bore fruit. 
and it was included in the canon of Scripture. And if it had been violated and, and defied by a wicked Philemon, then what in the place does it have in the canon of the 27 books of the New Testament? It's there for a holy reason. I hope that we're affected the same way. Amen. I hope that when we read about a syncretist or Junia or any of them, that we're convicted to look at ourselves and say, what do I have? What am I doing? How much time do I have? How much labor do I bestow? Do I bestow much labor? Or am I just an average loser? See, average just stinks. Because once you get weighed down by an average, I mean, it's just pretty pitiful. These are no average Christians. These are exceptional Christians. And the Apostle Paul pulls them out of all his friends that had gone and moved to Rome, and he appraises them. And so we want to benefit by humbling ourselves before the example that they give us. We always want to be convicted by God's Word, no matter what passage it is. Whether it's Psalm 12, or whether it's Hebrews 12 and verse 1, or whether it's Psalm 84 and verse 1, or whether it's Romans 16, we always want to be convicted. In every church, there are givers and takers. You may thank God for His providence that I was at home on Wednesday evening. Hopefully in the last hundred hours, today will be gentler. There are givers and there are takers in every church. There should only be givers except for acts of God. And acts of God are usually very temporary. Usually. We want to ask ourselves, if the church were to be divided into quartiles, a quartile means that the entire membership is divided into four equal parts. What quartile would I be in? Am I in the top quartile in that I am a great giver and that I bestow much labor on the church and upon others? Or am I in the bottom quartile that I'm usually talking about myself, I'm usually wanting people to think about what's going on in my life, I'm usually caring about my things, and I don't really get out of my comfort zone that often to care for others. See, we need to ask ourselves that. What quartile am I in? And if you're in the middle two quartiles, from the 25th percentile to the 75th percentile, then you should want to move higher. If you're in the bottom quartile, I don't really have anything to say to you today except to trust by the Holy Spirit that you might be convicted by this passage to make something of your life. As a child, I heard a saying that is scriptural, only one life, and it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. It's at times like this that we want to think about the parable of the pounds and the parable of the talents. That the man who was given five doubled it and had ten for the Lord. The man who had two doubled it and had four for the Lord. The man who had one hid it and came back and unwrapped his napkin and said, Here, Lord, I've been a decent church member. I've kept your talent. And this is how the Lord Jesus Christ, and I represent Him as His ambassador, 
the high king of heaven would say, take that talent away from that man and cast him into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth and give that eleventh talent to the man with ten. And the crowd would say, but Lord, he's already got ten. And the Lord would say, I'll do whatever I will with my own because I love high performers. And today, before I even get to Eponidas, I just want to ask us all if we're like these people. Because why else do I even want to preach through this passage unless I and you together are going to be like them? I don't want our church to be average. I want our church to be a high-performing church. I want our church to be a beacon of hope and light in this world. I want it to please the Lord Jesus Christ. I couldn't care less about our name as a church. I couldn't care less about your name. I couldn't care less about my name. Try to find my name on our website. We don't care about those things. We care about His name. But we want to burn ourselves out for Him. And every week, 168 hours are burned up. Burned up. And there's so much we can do in 168 hours. We have more tools and witty inventions than anyone has ever had to reach out and touch someone. Right. Lord, help us to do that. Help us to be like these here. The greatest in the kingdom of heaven are those that minister unto others and get outside of themselves. You know, your thoughts will destroy you. Your thoughts are worthless. Just get outside yourself and express things to others. Jesus came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give Himself a ransom for many. And we want to give ourselves like that because that's the example He gave us. And the greatest in His kingdom are like Him. And that's what He told the disciples when they were all worrying who was going to sit beside Him in glory. You know, what we're about to find are the marks and rules of real friends. This is one of the greatest men that has ever walked on this earth. Saul of Tarsus converted to be the Apostle Paul. In these 12 verses from 5 to 16, we're going to find the description of real friends. And I hope that they are the little adjective phrases that you use to pick your friends. I trust that they are mine. The things that are said about these individuals should be the things that can be said about your friends. So we have verse 5 before us and the second half of it. Salute my well-beloved Eponidas, who is the firstfruits of Achaia unto Christ. And so this epistle is being read in public. And the church is hearing the person reading Paul's letter to them. And he gets to the place where he says, by name, of course he's already named three, but he says, salute Eponidas. And he just doesn't say salute Eponidas, but salute my well-beloved Eponidas. I love Eponidas a lot. In public. Read for 2,000 years. And here we are in 2014, repronouncing his name and thinking upon what Paul wrote about him in the first century. Because Paul loved him. Now to be loved by the Apostle Paul, you were not an average Christian. You were an exceptional Christian. How do we know that? 
Because the Apostle Paul in Titus chapter 1 and verse 8 required of his ministers that they be lovers of good men. Now what's a good man? Is a good man someone who's not in the world? Someone who's not on skid row? Someone who's not homeless? Someone who's not a drug addict? Someone who's not an adulterer? Or is a good man, the good men among the citizens of the kingdom of Christ? Exceptional Christians. He's to be a lover of them, of good men. Like David. David put out from his house anyone that had character flaws or faults because he wanted to delight in those that feared God and kept His commandments, as the Bible teaches. So we have Eponidas. We do not want to try to read more about Eponidas than the Holy Spirit gave us, but we certainly don't want to walk away from this chapter with less than the Holy Spirit intends for us to know about him. The Apostle Paul loved him, and the Apostle Paul stated and declared his love in writing, in public, to the whole church, that Eponidas was well beloved by him, even though he's going to list some others in this catalog that are only beloved by him. You say, well, that, that could make somebody feel badly. If it makes them feel badly, then good. Because they have a spiritual problem. Because it shouldn't make them feel badly. They should understand that Eponidas and the Apostle Paul had something that they had accomplished together before that resulted in great affection between the two of them. Now it goes on to say in this fifth verse, who is the firstfruits of Achaia unto Christ? Achaia is the southern half of Greece. The northern half was Macedonia. In Macedonia we had the churches of Philippi and Thessalonica. In the southern half, in Achaia, we had the church at Corinth. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, when I went into Achaia, the southern half of Greece, from the northern half of Greece, after I had been at Philippi first, then Thessalonica, then came down into Achaia, my first convert was Eponidas. And what a firebrand he must have been, because he was the first. And all the error and heresies at Corinth had not moved this man. He was still beloved. And no, not just beloved, but well-beloved by the Apostle Paul. I want you to look at 1 Corinthians 16 with me so that we can handle what is sometimes raised as one of the contradictions in Scripture, though it really is no contradiction. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Verse 15, I beseech you, brethren, and then he sticks something in parentheses for us, ye know the house of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints, that ye submit yourselves unto such, and to every one that helpeth with us, and laboreth. We needed to turn to this passage. Since we have Romans 16.5 stating that Eponidas was the first fruits of Achaia, we have in 1 Corinthians 16 that the household of Stephanus was the first fruits of Achaia. Can you make a wild guess as to what family Eponidas belonged to? Yes, the household of Stephanus. But out of that household of Stephanus was an Eponidas 
that was the first individual converted by Paul, and this was the first family converted by Paul. And I wonder what role that that young man had in that family, and there will be more on that coming. These first Achaia believers, this household of Stephanus, look what it says about them. Ye know the household of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia. Out of your church, it is the first family. And that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Addiction is usually described in the passive voice, meaning that you have been using something that has caused your addiction to it. But here is a choice to be addicted. They have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. This is what I'm talking about today. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ has for us today. This is the message. They chose to be addicted. So it was a passive verb on their part. They have addicted themselves. An an unusual term, but a wonderful word. Can you believe that the Holy Spirit used a word in a Bible written so long ago to a generation in 2014 that has addiction all around us? How many crack users were there in England in 1611? Oh, they had some of their own addictions, trust me. There's nothing new under the sun. It's just different levels of sophistication. But look at this verse. Let this verse convict us. May there be households in our church. Households. Families. Known by a patriarch, Stephanus, where the household has chosen to addict themselves to the ministry of the saints. Now the apostle, in closing out this epistle, is not greeting them. He is telling the rest of the church how they should treat this family. That this family is to be set apart and treated specially. What's in parentheses is to explain why. In verse 15, if we leave out the parentheses, I beseech you, brethren, and so we come to verse 16, that ye submit yourselves unto such, and to everyone that helpeth with us and laboreth. A church is to be divided up. A church is to be ranked. And it's ranked based upon the level of service and the diligence and faithfulness and labor and abundant labor and the addiction that people have to the service of that church and the service of the ministry and the service of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. There are things that you can do. If you need a list of 100 things that you could do, I will make that list for you. But I would rather have you show a little bit of creativity and initiative and come up with things that you can do to serve and to encourage and to help and to reach out and to serve and to minister like these people did. This is the example that we have. This is what the Lord has for us today. It's a church, the church at Rome, and here we are, a church at Greenville. It's the army of Jesus Christ. Who will be the soldiers in the front? Who are the warriors? Who are the special forces? Who are the seals in Christ's kingdom? They addict themselves to the ministry of the saints. Reading these verses, 
I'm humbled by them. And so should you be. The whole church should submit themselves unto such. And we should lift them up and exalt them. And to everyone that helpeth and laboreth. We have a lot of helpers in this church. And I want everyone to hear me loud and clear. There are a lot of helpers in this church. It is a good church. I'm thankful for this church. And when I say that I don't speak so much as Jonathan Crosby is Christ's ambassador measuring this church by the Word of God. And yet, the last thing that I ever want to be is complacent or content with what we've attained to because we have not yet apprehended that for which we were apprehended. We can be better. And there are more that we can reach out to. There are many that write us and look to us as hope. And I share some of those with you. Oh, let's be like the household of Stephanus. Every man in here should be thinking to himself, I have a family. I have a family that has my surname. Is my family's surname recognized by the church? Would it be recognized by Paul if he visited us for a couple of weeks? That we are addicted to the ministry of the saints. When you are addicted to something, that doesn't mean you do it once in a while. That doesn't mean that you do it begrudgingly. When someone's addicted to something, they crave it. And they have to do it nearly all the time because they're addicted. Let's come back to Romans 16 or I'll stay there all day. It's a wonderful, it's a wonderful description. And the apostle Paul pushed us over there by saying that Eponidas was the first fruits of Achaia. But it was the household of Stephanus. Or was it both? Because Eponidas was part of the household of Stephanus. Listen, my brethren, every one of you men that find yourself a little woman who is happy to bear your children, why did you do all that? To populate the earth? Why did you do it? The only reason that we should have children is to multiply servants in the kingdom of heaven. Why why else have children? Well, because I just enjoy them. I love carrying babies. You're sick in comparison to this goal. I don't mean that about a mother's love for children. I mean that in comparison to this goal. Oh, I hope that the whole Lord will light a, a fire in you today. What is my family known for? Would there be the household of Eric? Addicted to the ministry of the saints. The household of Matthew. I won't say which. I'll say both. The household of Matthew. Addicted to the ministry of the saints. You say, well, pastor, what you're preaching is that really my career and having children in my house are not very important. And you're talking about people that are practically almost in full-time Christian ministry. You're catching on. What else is there? Do you know why we go to work? To make enough money to have all the things that we need, First Thessalonians chapter 4, 
to have more to give to others, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 28, and to be patrons of the kingdom of heaven, like Philemon and like Gaius and like Joseph that was called Barnabas and others. There's no other reason. Let's go on the public dole. I'm disabled. Do you want to hear it? (coughs) I speak as a fool. Oh, it's exciting. The household of Joshua. Let it be great. Every one of you. Let's come back here. At this pace, I'll be 60 when we finish Romans 16. That's four years away. Oh, I love these verses, Lord. Though they look so obscure and so slight in comparison to the other 15 chapters, but let's look at everything they say. Salute my well-beloved Eponidas, who is the first fruits of Achaia unto Christ. Paul remembered that early convert at Corinth or in, or in the region of Achaia. We come to verse 6. Greet Mary. Now there's Mary sitting there in an assembly likely of quite a few people, because Paul had never been to Rome. Paul had never visited this church. These are just some friends of his from other churches that had moved to Rome. Greet Mary! You know, everybody might have turned and looked looked over at Mary. Look at, he just read your name! The Apostle Paul! Greet Mary! I'm trying to make it as realistic as possible for you, because I want you to understand what he's doing. Do you know by the time he gets done with this, that that church had looked to the right, and that church had looked to the left, and that church had looked at Jews, and that church had looked at Gentiles. By the time he got done with them, he says, salute one another with a holy kiss. If they didn't do it, he had just put them to serious shame. Do you follow me? How do we know that? Because of the context. But, there's still value for us in the individual verses. Greet Mary... Now look at the words we want from this verse. Who bestowed much labor on us. Us. The Apostle Paul. He's including himself in that plural pronoun referring to himself and other ministers. There was some woman named Mary and notice what she had done. She had bestowed, which means to give as a gift. It wasn't required. She wasn't in an office. It wasn't forced out of her. Are you listening to me? Who bestowed, she gave, she presented labor. She worked hard for the Apostle Paul and for others related to the ministry of the Apostle Paul. But it doesn't just say labor. It says much labor. Not a little bit here and there, but much labor. Who bestowed much labor on us? Greeter. You know, everyone in the church should have been saying, wow. When was the last time I put forth any labor? I mean, labor. Now, now a woman in this assembly, if I was to say, do you understand what the word labor means? You, those of you with children know what the word labor means. Is it hard work, easy work, gentle work? Nobody wants to say. Because they all want to be champions that giving birth wasn't anything to them. Well, labor is hard work. Labor is hard work. So you understand this word, labor. Not only labor, but much labor. And it was bestowed. It wasn't forced. It wasn't required. She wasn't in an office. She just gave it as a gift. 
because Mary loved the Lord Jesus Christ and Mary loved the church of God and she found that the tabernacles of the Most High God were most amiable to her. And the people of God were those people that she wanted to serve with her life. It wasn't casual labor. It wasn't ordinary labor. It wasn't periodic labor. It wasn't a little labor or some labor, but much labor. Verse 7. Salute Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, who were of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. We do not know, we do not know any more about these people than what Paul tells us right here. It's likely that Junia is a feminine name. This very well could have been a husband and a wife. When you have a husband and a wife together and it says kinsman, that's because when you always revert to the male pronoun or male noun in such a case as this, if she is a woman, which we choose by her name, she's the fourth woman of the seven people that are listed so far. And I want to encourage every sister in this church that out of the seven people listed so far, there are four women. Just like out of the first three, they were two women. And the woman was mentioned first before her husband Aquila. Because I want to encourage every woman in here that you can serve the Lord Jesus Christ. We just had a Mary in verse 6. Now we have a Junia in verse 7. And we have Andronicus, and these were relatives of the Apostle Paul. Now this doesn't mean that they were just Jews, because Aquila and Priscilla were Jews. How do we know that Aquila and Priscilla were Jews? By Acts chapter 18. And Paul doesn't mention that they were kinsmen, so this is some closer relationship to the Apostle Paul than just merely being Jews, but they were relatives to him. Now when we when we find that, when we get the word kinsman, brethren, I don't know how else to study God's Word, and I hope that you appreciate the way we approach God's Word in this church. When I get the word kinsman, we've got work to do. Because that means that there are family members that are saved together, converted together, that are together in Christ. And so I'd like you to turn to John chapter 1 this time for me to remind you of our roles in our families. Lord, help us with our siblings. Help us with our spouses. We're going to have brother and sister in this listing. We're going to have them which are of the household of. Meaning, there's some man that gave the surname to a family and there's going to be several family members of that family converted. So there's emphasis on family in this list. John chapter 1. Verse 37. I need to start back farther. This is interesting. Verse 35. Again, the next day after, John stood. Follow very carefully. And two of his disciples. And looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak. And they followed Jesus. Now that wasn't very nice, was it? Do you think John was offended? No. He must increase. I must decrease. Amen. Two disciples are following John. John says, Behold the Lamb of God. The two, the two boys say to each other, What are we doing here? Let's go with Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following and saith unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? We want to be where you're at. He saith unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. 
One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Are you with me now? Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist, but no longer. He first findeth his own brother Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon the son of Jonah, thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. I want this passage to excite us. Do you have any siblings that need some work by you sharing the gospel with them and telling them, we have found the Messiah? This would be the household of Jonah. Simon bar Jonah. The household of Jonah had two brothers in it that were converted. Praise the Lord. Back to Romans chapter 16 and Andronicus and Junia in verse 7. Salute Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. Notice that it says about them, they had been in prison with Paul at some point in time. It doesn't tell us when or where. These two people are not mentioned anywhere else in the New Testament. But Paul did tell us in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 23 that he was frequently in prison. So it could have been in any number of places where they were in prison with him. He wasn't in prison at this time, and neither were they in prison at this time, because they were in Rome in this church. Who were of note among the apostles. Now here's a choice we've got to make in interpretation. Either these two were notable apostles, or these two, and and Junia couldn't be a woman then, could she? Can there be an apostolus? When Peter stood up in Acts chapter 1 and said we need to replace Judas Iscariot to fulfill Psalm 69, we need to look out from among all these men and brethren that followed with the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't be an apostle and be a woman. can't be a prophet. You can be a prophetess for a little short period of time, nor an evangelist, nor a bishop, nor a deacon, and be a woman if we stick to the New Testament and not to sentimental feelings of recent years. Who are of note among the apostles. Are they notable apostles? Or are they two Christians that were notable among the apostles? The apostles had a high regard and a high reputation for them. And that is what we choose for these reasons. We choose this. That if they were apostles and not merely average apostles, but notable apostles, while we don't know a single thing about them. And why was the Apostle Paul having to write the epistle to the church at Rome and take care of all their issues when they had two notable apostles there? (coughs) I hope that some of this reasoning is helpful. At times like this, you could wish that these verses were expanded a little bit by the Apostle Paul but He's given us just what we need for us to think through and reason just a little bit. These were were Christians that were notable by their Christianity, their character, their efforts, their service, their ministry, and the apostles all knew them well. So these two had had an influence, not just with the apostle Paul, but with other apostles as well. And for them to have had influence with other apostles as well, then they were likely Jews. And I want you to be going, when we go down through this list, do we think some of these names are very Greek? Some of these names are Latin. Some of these names, by their by their reputation, 
have Jewish influence. So we want to see all that because I want you to recognize what Paul is doing while we get the smaller lesson for ourselves. And that is, how seriously do we serve the Lord Jesus Christ? But these people were of note. Are you of note in this church for your service? Are you of note among Christians for your service? Who also were in Christ before me. In addition to being all that Paul said of these two, Andronicus and Junia, they'd been converted before Paul was converted. A great measure of Christian character is continuing in the faith. Have we learned that in this church over the last 30 years? That most can't continue. A great measure of Christian character is continuing. Jesus Christ came and died for those, as it says in Colossians chapter 1, if ye continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. A real measure of Christianity is continuing, staying the course. The Christian race is a long distance race. It is not a sprint. It is putting one foot in front of the other over and over and over again until the day we meet Christ. It's a long-term investment. Usury is not measured by how much you get back in a day, but the compound effect of daily interest over a long period of time. In order to double five talents and turn them into ten, takes a great deal of time and patience. And so we have here mentioned about Andronicus and Junia, who also were in Christ before me, and they were still faithful, and they were to be saluted by the church at Rome because Paul made mention of them. Rather than being a product of Paul's ministry, they were had been converted without him, and he greets them anyway. One more before our break. Verse 8. Greet Amplius, my beloved, in the Lord. Greet Amplius. Again, I want you to think about some brother in that church reading this epistle from Paul. Greet you know, when they heard that word, they heard the, the verb salute, they would wonder who's going to be named next. And out comes the name Amplius. Oh, and they look over at Amplius. Greet Amplius. And you know, Amplius would be humbled by it and be saying to himself or herself, Paul, did you have to do that? And yet, thank you, Paul, because I know you represent the Lord Jesus Christ and that my labors have not been forgotten. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Should Amplius be offended that this person is beloved rather than well-beloved? Or to have the Apostle Paul love you and mention your name in a letter in the capital of the Roman Empire, is that pretty nice? Are we able to get over all these little problems that the flesh has? and rejoice in such things? I trust that we can. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Where and why does the Apostle Paul love Amplius? Because this person is in the Lord. The great Apostle of the Gentiles loved this person in a special way that raised him or her above others. He loved him not for personality. He loved him not for position. He loved him not for power. He loved him not for pennies. That means his wealth. 
the Apostle Paul loved him for Christ, that he was in the Lord. There should be a bond between and among men according to their faith and love in Christ Jesus. That is what should unite us together better than anything else. The world has nothing. When they talk about their compatibility, it is hilarious to hear it. It is like monkeys chattering in a tree about why they like a certain person or why they like a certain company because they're reaching so low. They're reaching down with the monkey dung trying to measure why they have compatibility with this person when we have here one of the greatest men that ever walked this planet that was used by God so greatly, he is telling how he chose his friends. My beloved in the Lord. In the Lord. The world says blood is thicker than water, but we say blood is thicker than blood. And that has significant meaning to us. It's not just a trite statement or a trite comparison. They're measuring family love is greater than friend love. Blood is thicker than water. Being friendship, just being water, and family or kin, being blood, because you're tied by this red stuff in my veins? What in the world does that mean compared to the red stuff that dripped on Calvary's cross? We believe blood is thicker than blood. The blood of Christ unites us together so that I can be united with someone on the other side of the earth because they're in the Lord, because they're in Christ. We are blood brothers by predestinated adoption and it should create love, some more and some less, based on character, conduct, and performance. It should affect us greatly. You know, we can only marry in the Lord. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. And we can only have friends in the Lord. You say, well, does that mean when I go to work that I can't have any acquaintances among the pagans? Sure, you can have acquaintances. But your beloved? Uh Uh-uh. What do you love? How can they be called your beloved? What do you love about them if they're not in the Lord? If they're not in the Lord, there is nothing lovable about them. I commend all of you who already know this rule. But we have so many young in here that haven't figured it out yet because they're still operating with the lust of their flesh, the lust of their eyes, and the pride of life. They're still so immature, so weak, so childish, and infantile in their thinking that they think they have buds out there with the world. Our beloved are in the Lord. That's where our relationships are. I had to mingle with fellow officers at Michigan National Bank. You know, and as soon as I was able to get out of there, and you could ask any one of them who was the friendliest and most enthusiastic officer of that company, but once I got out of that place, get it off of me. I didn't socialize with them outside of banking hours. Why would I even want to think of doing that? Unless I had to. Where were my beloved? In a little church in Michigan. Where are our beloved now? They should be in this church. And other saints. And if you feel that you're running short and you're laboring so diligently that you've covered all the saints in this church so that you have served them abundantly, all you need to do is write me a letter and say, Pastor, I have bestowed much labor 
on all the members of this assembly and their children, could you give me a few more to bestow much labor on? And I'll send you a list with email addresses. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. We can only marry in the Lord, and our friendships should be in the Lord. And look at this example by our beloved brother Paul, one of the greatest men that God ever put on this planet. He's telling us how he chose his friends, and we should follow his holy example. And may we bestow much labor where we can. May we be addicted to the ministry of the saints, like the house of Stephanus, and like Mary and these others in this list. May we be worthy of medals. You say, well, why are you talking that way? The Apostle Paul said, I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished my course. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me in that day and all those that love his appearing. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word from Romans 16 to each of us. Amen. Amen.